Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, live from Post 9 here at the New York Stock Exchange. Front and center this hour, the vaporized VIX. And what the collapse of volatility says about the state of stocks, our investment committee Debating the road ahead for your money with earnings season now firmly underway. Joining me for the hour, everybody in the house here at the NYSE, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe, Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets. Sarah said we got a little bit of a sell-off. Not much, though. We are in the red, uh, however, across the board. Uh, you do have Goldman is away today, J&J, United Health. They're weighing on the Dow. S&P's down a fraction, as is the NASDAQ today. I feel like, Josh, we're kind of waiting around for the rest of those big earnings reports, especially mega cap tech. Now, we're going to get some this week in terms of Netflix and Tesla. But next week, given what the stocks have done, I think the market and investors are kind of waiting to see what they deliver and thus a little bit muted in terms of the action, even as you've had some pretty important companies come out. Yeah, look, I could be very wrong here, but my personal feeling is don't get sucked in. We just had the lowest close for the VIX. You have to go back to November 2021 to find a day where the VIX is going out uh, this muted. And that doesn't necessarily give you uh, what the next 5% in the market will be. And of course, markets can remain overbought and continue to trend higher. I just personally feel if you've ridden a lot of this rally up already, why are you out there looking for new stocks right now or adding to stocks that have just gone up 20, 30, 40%? For me, that's not the move to be making. Um, I don't think we're going to have a horrible uh, spate of earnings from the fangs. I just feel like it's going to be very difficult to justify continued upside given what we're already going into do you worry, this earnings season. With. Do you worry about what we're calling the vaporized volatility, the fact that the VIX, as you said, you know, was it 16 and change? It's barely at 17 now. And, and what the potential message in all of that might be? Worry is not the right word. I, wor- I worry about everything. I worry about carbs. I wor- it's, it's all, you're always going to have things to worry about. Here, here's the issue. Complex carbohydrates are bad. Here's the issue. If you ask me, why did the market take off like a rocket ship in March? I couldn't have told you in real time. But looking back, it's very obvious that positioning was so offsides and I could cite like 50 different stats, but like the big one for me, you look at uh, exposure from uh, hedge funds, what they call large speculators when they look at shorts in, in the E-mini. You really have to go back a long time to find a period of time where the hedge funds were so heavily either hedged or fully betting against the market. That unwind, what, what that looks like in practice is the FANG stocks exploding um, and this kind of VIX collapse, but it doesn't go on forever. So I'm, I'm not saying hurry up, get out. I'm just saying like, all right, we've had a really nice rally. Mm-hmm. We have some pretty crucial data coming up from some very big index weights. 
Why do I need to be getting bigger here? Right. I don't need to get any bigger. All right, Steph. So let's go in um, on, on some of these earnings. We'll come back to the market. I do want to bring up some other things related to that after we kick around some names. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bank of America is the first one I want to go to, which Jim Cramer said, I thought this was Brian Moynihan's best quarter ever. You own B of A. You bought more recently when you when you bought Schwab. Mm-hmm. So, you know, another bank that you can tick off the list that's reported. What's the message here? Stock's not doing all that much. What do you think? Well, the stock has rallied in the last couple of days, right? But I thought the quarter was absolutely fine, very good. The only thing I didn't like was uh, the expenses. The efficiency ratio is a little bit higher because I think of Bank of America as an operating leverage story, right? Costs come down and revenues do better and you get a a much better bottom line. Well, Mm -hmm. you did get that, but it was because the top line was actually much better than expected versus the expense side. But I mean, if you look at debt capital markets, you look at FIC, um, you look at net interest income, all much better than not only expected, but also versus the peers. When you contrast that to Goldman, that was a hot mess, in my opinion. And I think across the board, FIC was disappointing, debt capital markets disappointing, mm-hmm. uh, expenses way disappointing. So that stock should be down. I don't think Bank of America should be down. I call earnings season silly season because you get silly reactions. Okay. This is an opportunity, I think, to be buying, and I probably will. What about you, Jason Snipe, on Bank of America before we move on to Goldman, because you own that as well? Do you look now, do you say, okay, by and large, these are better than feared? Absolutely. And you want to be tactical, as as Steph said, and take advantage of of some of these moves and, and buy a stock which people routinely come on and say, B of A, more specifically than most, below... Uh, book value. It's this, right, that, right, and the other right. thing. It's so super attractive, but right. I don't hear, hear many people come on and say, and I'm buying it right, as a right. result. Yeah, and I think for, for Bank of America in particular, I mean, if I look at the banking sector period, um, earnings expectations came down dramatically, and these numbers for, for banking have been great. You know, so as a top, as Steph already mentioned, this beat on the top and the bottom line. You know, I, I always look at, at the banks as, particularly the money center banks, as a real good call on the consumer. The consumer is still hanging in there. Mm-hmm. So I still like the name. I'm not going to add here. I got a market weight position, but I, I feel comfortable with how the report is looking. Then there is the Goldman Sachs um, deal today, which is, as I said, Jim, one of the biggest weights on the Dow. Um, it's a capital markets play more than a money center bank, obviously. The environment is depressed in terms of deal making and IPOs and all the things that make Goldman Sachs Goldman Sachs. What do you do, though? Steph called it a hot mess. <laughs> I think that was a good description, Steph. It was a hot mess, and for the reasons that she highlighted. I, I'm sticking with the stock. I think you are supposed to stick with it here. Um, at the end of the day, let's not forget that this is a highly profitable bank. I mean, yes, they did beat on this quarter's earnings. Uh, tangible return on tangible equity was almost 13 percent, and that's below where they want it to be. I think when you put those numbers together, what you realize is this is a company that even in a bad quarter, this was a bad quarter, uh, had enough cash flow to buy back two and a half billion dollars worth of shares. Uh, that's, you know, against a market cap of roughly 100 billion. They're going to do more than that in good quarters and the good quarters will come, whether it's deal making, picking up or what I think is probably the most important is them getting back to their roots. The foray into consumer lending, consumer finance was simply a mistake. They've recognized it. They're correcting from it. And I look forward to them getting back to their core roots of simply servicing high net worth individuals and uh, very high quality companies. That's going to be profitable. You think the guy that made that 
disastrous bet should still be at the head of Goldman Sachs? I, I, your point is very well made. And I, I have a question about Mr. Solomon. And I think, Josh, and I was thinking about this this morning, like it's up to him to show what his leadership style is going to be. And by that, I mean this. I'd actually like your opinion on this. You know, we're going into the spring and summer season. This is not a time that I want to see Mr. Solomon at parties DJing. It's simply not. This is a time that I want to see him at the office on you Saturdays 18, and Sundays. You need, you need like you need like 18, 20 percent lift in the multiple for him to be DJing in the Hamptons. But my point is, he wasn't he was my, not part of Marcus. That was blank fine. Uh, and he yeah, grew yeah, it, but uh, that was not him to get into that. Steph, that I get your mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. but. No, I'm sorry. He did grow it, as you admit. And he was there. He was there when Blank Fine started it. Well, um, I thought about that, too, this morning. I will give him credit for having changed course. And that's the most important what thing. Is, he's what changed is, course, what he hasn't but he's, done, he's not blameless for it. And being what there. he hasn't done is done what Morgan Stanley has done. That's right. And growing the wealth management business and making acquisitions and getting more diversified and less dependent on the rate Good. curve. Right. So mm-hmm. and, and capital markets. I get you on capital markets. We're probably in the trough. Well, right, go, and so, that's why I—that's one of the reasons so, I like Morgan Stanley. Maybe it's one of the reasons you like Goldman, both right, of you. 100%. But I mean, it's just a—it's a kind of one-trick. Go, Goldman saying well, Goldman is saying all the right things about the wealth management business. They want to be a, a serious custodian contender. I mean, they're nowhere yeah. now, but like they—they they look at that race, and I think they think uh, they have the ability to win it. I've spoken with them; they're like serious people, and they have the right message to RIAs. Okay. Good, good, good start. Um, they bought a gigantic RIA. Nobody is quite sure what that means. Wait a minute, you're going to be custodian, and then also you're going to do wealth management internally. How appealing is that going to be to an independent RIA vetting your service? So you have maybe a little bit behind the eight ball there. And then the wild card and the real thing that will move the stock is: Do we get IPOs again in the second half of the yeah, year? Yeah, capital markets. Do we get like is is that is the parade coming back to town mm-hmm. second half this year or early '24? And that's the difference between whether or not the stock finishes the year red or green. But you my you you have made sort of your bet on one general so to speak, in the banking army, and that's J.P. Morgan. Yeah. And I would imagine you must be pretty pleased on where you are in that decision-making process, given what J.P.M. delivered last week, which really set the tone for what earnings were going to be for the yeah. big banks in general. Yeah, uh, they, set the, they set the tone, but they also, they're, they're pretty much a step above in most categories. And as is rightfully pointed out all the time, yeah, it's a, it's a premium on a lot of different metrics, but like I feel like t- the getting through 2022 um, and the first quarter of 23 is why that premium is there. And they've done this time and time again. So they may stumble at some point and, and miss a critical juncture of, of do we get more aggressive here, do we get less aggressive? But overall, I think that's why you own the stock. It just so happens investors are rewarding you right now for having a management team at a financial company that that's being more prudent and more cautious. That may work against me again. If if the capital markets business and IPOs and M&A and all that comes back in the second half, there's probably business JP Morgan will not do and maybe they'll get penalized and, and the stock will trail. Goldman Sachs will probably explode in that environment. So you really have to just like decide why am I invested in this space? Am I trying to own the leader in a raging bull market or am I trying to collect a dividend and and have reasonable growth. Uh, and that's what I've opted for here. Jason Snipe, before I move from the banks, you do own Goldman Sachs. Are you looking yeah. to be a seller? I'm uh, not. I'm not. Stay with her? 
Yeah. <laughs> I am staying with her. And I think, you know, to, to Jimmy's point, to Josh, to everybody's point, it was a messy quarter for sure, right? <laughs> but asset management was up 24%. And I think to, to, to Josh's point, which is really important, if capital markets comes back online at the second half of this year or early 2024, I think that would be an astounding opportunity. And that's why you own GS. All right. So J&J, Steph, mm. uh, which you told me, I don't know, maybe it was yesterday or the day before that you're looking to buy it. Yeah. Um, do you have enough of an opportunity today? Despite the earnings, which were good, they raised their guide. I mean, the stock's down almost 3%. Yeah, uh, it's very tempting, and I'm thinking about it. Um, I, the only reason I wouldn't do it today is because you do have the talc settlement situation coming up. Whether it goes through or not, that's going to come out sometime in May. But don't you know what the worst-case scenario is? likely to be at this point? Yeah, and if it's $9 billion that they have to spend over 25 years, I think that's very manageable. So that was that was the point that so I was making. So that's known, right? That's so, the known known. Right, right. So so I might take a look. It's down 3% on a very good quarter. As you mentioned, pharmaceuticals were up 4.2%. MedTech up 7%. Consumer up 7%. Pricing power is sticking in the consumer. But as you know, they are spinning that out. And that's what makes it this kind of an exciting story because then you're left with some pretty good, good growth in pharmaceuticals and MedTech. So, and at 15 times, I just don't think it's that commanding of a multiple. Um, so I'm watching it, and I, maybe I'll take some action in the next couple of days. Is healthcare tired? I mean, United Health is a, is a yeah. drag. Amgen, I noticed today, was a drag. J&J is a drag. Yeah. Is, it, is it a tired trade? I think it, they rallied in the last month, um, and, and so I think the expectations were just a bit ahead. Um, I think United Healthcare is extremely interesting here, but the stock does trade at a premium multiple, right, at 19 times. So if I have J&J at 15 times or I have United at 19 times, they're both great companies. They're both compounders. You want to own them over time and take advantage of the weakness. So, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on it. You know I own GE Healthcare. And that's really the only one I own in healthcare. So I could certainly expand, and I'm looking to do so. Lockheed Martin. Jimmy, you own Raytheon. Um, We could take a look at shares of of Lockheed and what's a a busy earnings day. Top and bottom beat. They reiterate their full-year guidance. Um, There's a stock. Look at this chart, chart, guys. We'll get to you on defense in a moment because it was related to your stock summit uh, pick. But what about Lockheed and your Raytheon? I think this is about as simple a call as you can make, whether it's Josh, you in the ETF or in individual stocks. The demand for the products of Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, Boeing Defense is going one direction, up. That's unfortunate for the state of humanity, but that's the truth. It's going up, and it's going up for years, and it's going up geographically across the globe. This is a place to be, and on any pullback, you want to add to these sorts of names. Josh? Um, Let's put up the ITA. Uh, to Jim's point. This was your stock summit sector pick. So outside of Boeing, everything else in this thing makes helicopters and missiles. And we've used up like a 10-year supply of things that fly and explode in like the last year to 18 months in the conflict in Europe. It's really, to Jim's point, it's unfortunate. Nobody's cheering. It's just a reality of of humanity uh, that we go through these phases. What's interesting now is that you almost have a guaranteed source of demand as far as the eye can see because of just this this rejiggering of the world order and these new alliances and um, just the whole question of what does it even mean to be in NATO anymore. You're going to see countries like Japan, like Germany, that haven't really had to arm themselves, defend themselves in 70, 80 years now coming to the table with an order book. It's a completely new world, and I think that that's being reflected in these breakouts that we're seeing in the individual stocks, like Lockheed Martin LMT is a new 
all-time high. Uh, the ITA, new all-time high. Go down the list. Every one of these stocks uh, is breaking out or is on the verge of breaking out. And I wish it weren't so, um, but that's, we, don't, we don't get to invest based on how we want things to be. James, you had a question for me? <laughs> I, saw your, I saw your hand up. You like did raise his hand. Did. Stop making me laugh. We don't have you time. to go to the restaurant? Uh, no, no. To your point on Boeing, though, actually. Yeah, and I, heard, I was just about to mention I, that. I heard you guys cover it on Friday with the latest one step back. You know, there's news today from the annual meeting that it ain't going to be as bad. And that story, by the way, is still a two steps forward, one step back. But, man, when they take that one step back, it just feels so awful. My God, did I feel terrible on Friday. You guys handled it well. Thank you for that. So, you know, You've had a pretty, pretty good earnings reporting day, as I mentioned off the top. I mean, the beats are pretty good, and yet the market reaction to it is, is somewhat muted. Why? Because sentiment is still negative. And, you know, the, the loudest voices continue to come out and suggest that the market is on the verge of going lower, whether it's, you know, Mike Wilson, earnings are too optimistic. Kalanovic yesterday says the recent rally is, quote, unquote, irrational. Even in the optimistic scenario of a soft landing, he says equity upside is likely less than 5%. On the downside, even a mild recession would warrant retesting the previous lows and result in 15 plus percent downside. I mean, if, if you need more evidence of just how dour and negative investors by and large are, the CNBC All-America survey, worst time ever, okay, for stocks is where the vote so was. It's so bullish. Just, well, okay, we'll get to that. We'll get yeah. to that because I know that's part of the conversation too. 100. Just 24% say now is a good time to invest in stocks, the lowest percentage recorded by the survey. Fund manager, Bank of America survey in April, highest bond allocation since March of 09. So where are these people the with chart, the data? Though. Wait a second. Where the are these people when the economic data comes out that's actually a little bit better than expected? The Empire Fed, the NAHB yesterday. I mean, these are two big numbers, right? You also had, how about housing today? Permits and starts, better than expected. I think where are these people that are so negative when the data comes out that actually is because they say opposite good, of because what they, they say? No, because they believe that the good news news is bad news because of people like Bostic, who was on the air, what what was it, one hour ago, who said inflation remains too high, but nearly every measure you look at, it's double our target. There's more work to be done, and I'm ready to do it. Well, but but the economy has some stimulus in place still and some momentum to be looking at his own GDP now forecast is now up 2.5%, up from 2.2 last week. Which is why he has the level of resolve he he does to keep going. Understand, he can, but maybe the economy can handle it. I don't know. We all know the the economy is going to slow, but to what degree, He doesn't think there's going to be a recession, by the way. He said, I'm quoting, I don't have recession as my baseline outlook. It's why I'm comfortable holding at that restrictive level for some time. I feel like I'm we all know what the market's going to do, right? And this goes back to the first thing you talked about, the vaporizing VIX. We all know there's going to be a step backwards. What have you yeah. said about Boeing applies to the markets? We've been taking a lot of steps forward. You're going to get a step backwards. The VIX is going to pop. It'll go above 20, whatever. And people will be saying, again, running around with their hair on fire, that the end is coming. This is it. The recession's here. Everybody head for the bunkers. And it's most likely that that's going to be wrong. Uh, you have to look at what the trend is now. The 200-day moving average on the S&P 500 has gone up as of about a month ago. The fundamentals are improving, which, Stephanie, you're making that point, and I will sing in a harmony with you on that. The fundamentals at company level, you look at earnings or in the economy, are simply coming in better than expected. What would you say to the people that are saying that there is already underway a credit crunch, lack of availability of loans, lack of desire for people taking loans, 
and that we're not seeing it in the economic data yet, damn sure not seeing it in the NASDAQ, um, but like that is the thing that has already been set in motion and historically really doesn't stop until there's a credit event. Well, the banks well, didn't it's say a very, It's a very real risk is what I would say. You can't, sure. you can't dismiss which, what which you just banks? said. The biggest, you, most well-capitalized banks you're in right. the world. But you're you, right. Yes, you absolutely. can't dismiss it, Josh, but I think, and this is emblematic of everything over the last 14 months, it's all on the come. And I'm, I'm out of breath talking about, okay, well, you know, the last 14 months, GDP continues to grow, labor market continues to grow. I hear you. It's a real risk. You can't dismiss it. My point is not that there aren't risks. Who's, it's that the balance actually favors the bulls here. Jason, whose words are more important for the current state of, of where we are from a both economic and market standpoint, J.P. Morgan or J.B. Hunt? J.B. Hunt, we're in a challenging freight environment where there is deflationary price pressure for an industry that continues to face inflationary cost pressures, simply stated, we are in a freight recession. You listen to that more than what J.P. Morgan has to say or not? Well, for me, I mean, it's, it's clear, obviously, the market has run a ton, right? The Nasdaq's up 16%, the S&P's up 8%. Um, you know, as I look at going forward, and, and the VIX is emblematic of complacency in the market. So there's definitely a leg lower coming. And I think that's what Jimmy just said. Uh, but for me, I look at a very strong labor market. We have not, we're still at 3.5%. That's, that's going to take some time to figure itself out. Um, and from a sentiment perspective, I would look at it, we, you hate the market so much that it's good, right? You know, it's, there's just opportunity. And you know how these sentiment swings play. And at the end of the day, we're at the end of a hiking cycle. 25 basis points in May, that's likely it. I think there could be some, some, some run in the late end of the year. See, so Steph, yeah. you, know, you go through this whole thing how, you know, the data is better and earnings are pretty good and things are good, right? Right? You said it. Yeah. I didn't say it. You said it. Not all okay. of it. Just, I'm just saying some of the data is actually, yes, better. Well, you, 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 you laid out a fairly bullish economic case. Okay? You I, did. Okay. You did. Mm-hmm. However, you're trimming target. Why? Because you're worried about what J.B. Hunt had to say. Well, no. You've been I mean, taking I'm- a lot of profits in a lot of stocks that have done really well, which says to me you, you're worried about where we are, despite you know, the positive things you say about where you think the economy is, you're um, doing more trimming than buying. I'm up 9% year to date in Target. I took some profits. I'm still long. I'm still 250 basis points overweight okay. relative to my benchmark. I think it's prudent to take profits along the way. I will not apologize for that. You don't have to. I just want you to, cl- I, want you, is, I want to get more clarity yes, when you say you're okay. nervous well, about I'm, the J.B. Hunt news, which is what you told our producers. I'm more nervous about the good side of the economy than the services side of the economy. I think the services side is actually booming and we're seeing it across the board. And that's one of the reasons why I am overweight consumer discretionary. I'm also overweight consumer discretionary that has exposure to China. Now, we're not even talking about the better GDP numbers that came out from China. Retail sales, that was way better than expected. And that's because they're reopening. So things like Nike, Starbucks, Estee Lauder. I've been involved in them for probably over a little bit over a year, yeah, expecting but- China to help uh-huh. and be the balance to the to the softening side of the U.S. But it, those are services. I mean, at least Nike, uh, uh, excuse me, at least Starbucks and Wynn Resorts. Those are services. So I'm balancing it out with some 
other exposure to China. Estee Lauder has a 30% of exposure, and I think that they're going to benefit. So I think there are pockets within consumer that are going to do well. Durables, not so much. And that's exactly what J.B. Hunt said. It's going from durables to consumables. Target has consumable exposure, for sure. It's just not as much as Walmart, right? And they still have in high inventory levels. They're working them down. The stock's attractive. I think there's upside to margins in the second half of the year, but I just don't feel like I need to be 350 basis points overweight no, I when get there's it, right in my face is what J.P. Hunt is saying. But you're, you're trimming stocks like Caterpillar and Deer and industrial and cyclical plays that somebody who thinks that things are good in the economy doesn't necessarily do. Well, I also had really good gains in Caterpillar and Deer, and so I took that money and I bought Ingersoll Rand, right? So that's also a cyclical company. I bought Schwab because it was down 30%. That's a cyclical company. Well, I mean, you could, but you could say that was an idiosyncratic I would, deal because the stock, there was, right. you know, so what Kramer's I have used done. the word like a raid. I mean, this the stock got crushed. Right. And I thought it was an opportunity, but it is a cyclical company, right? So at the end of the day, I've been more balanced than I have been, but I still do own cyclicals because I do think there's still a story to be told there. Again, more international. I think the earnings are going to hold up better. I think they have pricing power and margins. And oh, by the way, the multinationals will benefit from the weak dollar. So there's that. But then I also think it's prudent to have some defense too, right? Because we are going to slow. We just don't know by how much. He, lo- right. he loves watching you grill, Stephanie. Uh, Jimmy, I, I want to. You know what? I want like, more. Just look I want some more clarity. <laughs> <laughs> Is it that obvious? It's like, sorry, tag I you're wanted, in today. I wanted more clarity. It's okay, I can handle it. Sometimes I can't tell whether sure you're can. glass half full or glass half empty. Why do so I have I want... to be glass anything? I'm just giving you the real, like, hey, there are ideas out there. There are plenty of stocks to be buying. Maybe not the entire market, because to J.P. Morgan's point, it's 20 times forward estimate, and that's expensive. But if I look at, we talked about this yesterday, financials. We look at we. Some industrials, energy, some materials, those are trading well below 20 times. And there are some consumer stocks, discretionary and staples, that also are not as expensive. And so I'm looking for opportunity. I think we got enough clarity at this point. We do. do yeah. Should we a take a clarity. break? Let's, uh, let's take a break. Up next, call of the day, a double upgrade for one chip stock. We have plenty of ownership here on the desk. We'll debate it next on the half. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. 
Our call of the day, NVIDIA, a double upgrade to buy at HSBC. The firm says it is, quote, throwing in the towel on the bear case. Um, you can take the call for whatever it's worth. Um, Josh Brown. Yeah. Stocks obviously had an amazing run. Yeah. Uh, when you're on the wrong side of that, you throw in the towel eventually, I suppose. Uh, you do. Or whatever. You, the you call do is... or you lose your job. But, like, <laughs> look, the rationale for what they got wrong, I think, is, is really relevant to this discussion. The analyst was overweighting in, in his mind uh, the importance of a short-term data center slowdown, which is obvious and the whole world saw coming. Um, but what they were missing was just this incredible surge in interest in AI and all of the orders that are going to come as a result of that. And NVIDIA's 80% market share uh, in that business, nobody, nobody else is even in the conversation. So in every era, in every generation, Judge, there's going to be that one stock that just defies uh, the, the fundamental research and traditional valuation metrics. And it doesn't go on forever, but it could go on for years and years. And NVIDIA is becoming that stock. And it's driving people that aren't in it absolutely nuts. Mm -hmm. And I totally get that. Um, but the story here is very simple. The analyst is astonished at, at the pricing power they have for the A100 GPU, um, which is about $10,000 a chip, and the H, H100, which they're not even allowed to sell in China, it's so powerful, which is a $20,000 chip. There's nothing else like this on the board right now. There's no other semiconductor company playing um, the game that NVIDIA is playing. And so for people that feel like, oh my God, there's gonna be all these orders for AI, it's the story of the decade, I can't believe I'm not in it, it's not like there are 20 great plays to make here. This just happens to be like the number one play. And I think that's reflected in the run-up that we've seen this year, really since ChatGPT kicked the door down. And it's a chase, and I'm not saying it'll be fundamentally supported forever, but this guy just doubled his price target from 175 to 355 and went from sell to buy. And you don't see that very often, and I think this is the type of situation where you do see it. And it's a tough call if you're not in it. You really like you don't know what to you don't know what to do if you're not in it. And it's one of the reasons why I've never sold it, despite the fact that I recognize it's not cheap. Uh, by and you look, you you metric. have you have told people on this program who watch our program, don't buy it. In fact, now it's I way too much. And I like if I look, I'm in this with like an absurdly low cost basis, like a gangster cost basis. I would not be running out and chasing it on a day like today because the one thing about Nvidia you can count on is huge drawdowns, even though historically they've led to eventually new highs as people become uh, re-engaged with the technology story. So this is for a very long time been expensive stock, ridiculously good positioning in the market um, for, for the tech that they're involved with. And you either want to wrap your head around that and, and, and get involved, or you're just like, you know what, I can't do it. It's not my process, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I'm, in the, I'm in the latter camp. That's just how I, uh, the, the earlier camp. Jason Snipes got it, too. Yeah. Yeah, and Josh sums it up perfectly, man. I mean, honestly, AI is revolutionary. There's no doubt about that. The stock trades at 60 times forward. I mean, this is one of these stocks where the, the, the multiple almost doesn't matter, right? I mean, it, it was down 50% last year. We trimmed a little bit of it last year, but it's up 90% year to date. Oh, They're going to continue. Those words talents. are going to live on forever. This is one of those <laughs> stocks where the multiple almost doesn't matter. One day matter. it will. Matter. One, one day, day it will. will. And, and who knows when. But in the meantime, <laughs> it, has, it, has not, it has not mattered recently. <laughs> yep. So, no, true. It, it it's it's true. hard. It is hard. Nobody, you know, nobody's, it's not easy to be in this stock. The beta is off the charts. And you could wake up on any given day to a double downgrade. 
You could have an analyst who's a, who's a, a bull, skip neutral, and go right to a sell on something like valuation or execution worries or whatever. You could have the stock down 11%. Mm-hmm. You have to decide. Yeah. I either can live with that or I can't live with that. Like that should, it's almost like a behavioral answer, do I buy NVIDIA, more so than a, than a mathematics question. Well, there are a lot of ways to play AI it's in within. Tell me what you think the best two are after well, this. I own Broadcom, and that is one of the best companies. You and think it that trades that's at gonna, 15 times forward estimates. Can I ask a question, though? Do you, do you think that that's going to get the benefit of the desire of other people to invest in AI? Are they going to re-rate Broadcom? I think they will. Okay. I mean, it's AI, it's cloud, what it's data got? center. AMD? No. The, well, AMD. Just as expensive. AMD what else? AMD is just, is just as expensive. So <laughs> I'm looking at valuations, and I'm looking at kind I of steady. Cloud. I just want cloud. Go ahead. I want steady earnings. <laughs> Go ahead. I want the, all this company did all last year was beat and raise. And oh, by the way, the free cash flow was enormous with all of these companies, but they increased their dividend. They increased their buyback. While NVIDIA was down 50%, Broadcom was actually up on the year. So, true. so to be honest, I mean, okay. I can sleep at night better, and that's my style yeah. versus your style. Oh, I agree. All right, I think I we got enough clarity, got clarity on that. <laughs> now it's my turn. Coming up, our chart of the day, a big downgrade for one refiner, how the desk is playing it. We'll discuss next. <laughs> next on Halftime. Stay tuned. <laughs> what does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Bertha Coombs, and here's our CNBC News update at this hour. A 24-hour ceasefire is now in effect between the Sudanese army and a rival paramilitary force after four days of heavy fighting. Millions of civilians in Sudan's capital are still hiding in their homes as the rival groups pounded residential areas with artillery and airstrikes. According to a United Nations envoy, almost 200 people are dead and over... 2,000 wounded since the fighting began. Elon Musk is once again warning of the potential dangers of artificial intelligence to humanity. The billionaire tech executive appeared in a segment on Fox News last night where he told host Tucker Carlson of his plans to create an alternative to ChatGPT. Musk believes the popular chatbot has a liberal bias and is, quote, being trained to be politically correct. And Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin is fully cleared to return to playing football. According to the team's general managers, Hamlin saw his last specialist on Friday and is participating at voluntary workouts with the Bills this week. It'll be great to see him back on the field. Scott, Josh, Scott, right? Well, I mean, it depends. It depends who you ask, Bertha. (laughs) I mean, at this point, it doesn't really matter. Thank you, Bertha Coombs. All right, let's get to our chart of the day. It is Valero. The stock's down 9% this month now. We do have a downgrade today for both Valero and Marathon Petroleum. That's the equal weight. It's at Wells. Um, Part of the idea here, Jim, if you used to own Marathon, right? You sold it a while ago. um, Is that this is as good as it gets for refiners in terms of oil was low. 
right? You buy it low, refine it, you sell it. Now you're buying higher and you're going to, the spread is just not as great as it was. Is, what, do you, what do you make of this call? Um, I think it's the right call. Uh, I'm still bullish on energy, Scott, but here's the thing about refiners. This is always a very tricky subsector of energy. Uh, there are forces that move the refiners that are not obvious, and it can be things like there's a price differential between California refined products and Gulf Coast refined products, or you can find yourself with an oversupply of diesel and an undersupply of jet fuel. These things go on all the time, and what the takeaway from this is, and this is to the way you phrased the question, you have to get the beautiful entry point to make money in these stocks or else you just got to hang on for dear life as they go up and down and up and down. But this is not a beautiful entry point for these stocks. These are dangerous if you get in them at the wrong time. So I agree with the call. I don't think there's anything, there's no setup here that makes me want to get into them. Steph, I've no never refiners? Owned, no, I've never owned a refiner. I find them like trading vehicles. And to Jimmy's point, you've got to time it perfectly. So mm-hmm. for me, I am overweight energy. Yeah. Um, I do Chevron, own, Diamondback, yes. uh, SLB. SLB is the one I've actually been most recently adding to. I like the international mix. So 75% of their revenues, it comes from international. And that's just starting to inflect. We've talked about that versus 25% in North America. Uh, they also have great presence with technology, digitization, and they have a goal of getting 25% EBIT mar, EBITDA margins mm-hmm. uh, over time. And I think with the technology and why I always focus on that, that gives them pricing power, which helps the margin story. So that's the one they report on Friday. I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, and uh, if, it, if it sells off on the news for whatever reason, silly season, earnings season, I would be definitely buying more. Jason Snipe, um, you do have Chevron and the XLE as uh, crude oil is back above uh, 81 bucks. Yeah, 100%. So energy was our stock summit pick. Like the sector a lot. Um, I think that supply-demand mismatch is still is still a story. I look at China, and, and, and Steph mentioned this earlier, the GDP numbers from China. Yep. I mean, with them being back online, I think that's very uh, bullish for energy mm-hmm. going forward. So I still like the area. I'm in the fully integrated. And, and like I said, it's it's been flat thus far, but I think there's upside for the rest of the year. Okay, up next, the world's largest asset manager ditching the traditional 60-40 portfolio. We debate, we discuss, and we do it next. Big move today from the world's largest asset manager, BlackRock, ditching the classic 60-40 portfolio. All right, now check this out. I know you guys have opinions on this. Strategists from BlackRock Investment Institute, okay, they recommend, quote, breaking up traditional asset allocation buckets, moving away from broad allocations to public equities and bonds. That's according to a note uh, that was passed around uh, today. Quote, these old assumptions do not reflect the new regime we're in, one where major central banks are hiking interest rates into recession to try and bring inflation down. What do we think, Mr. Josh Brown? So I want to be very careful about the way I respond to this, but I think it's important to point out you can give someone a 60-40 portfolio right now where they pay three basis points for the 60 part and maybe two basis points for the 40 part. By the S&P, basically it's free. By the uh, Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, basically it's free. Wall Street doesn't make any money from 60-40 portfolio. Wall Street makes all of its money convincing people that that's not going to work or it's not going to be enough or it's not going to do the trick in a specific environment. And Wall Street wants to sell you alts. And I don't have a problem with alts, by the way, Mm -hmm. but just understand something. That is where the money is made. And so you will frequently hear, quote, the death of the 60-40. And then right before or right after, there's a pitch for something that costs 2 and 20 
one and 10, whatever the case may be. So again, nothing wrong with alts, nothing wrong with not particularly being enamored of the current bond yield or the current S&P multiple. Just understand there is always a motivation anytime somebody tells you so-and-so is dead, such-and-such cheap, uh, easily repeatable investment strategy is dead. And I would tell you right now, if you can tell me there's a category of alts that's going to do better than the 5% that I can give you in a short-term bond index, and you, you say over the next five years, you buy a bond starting point right now, buy Treasury, even if you have to roll it at a lower yield, if you tell me there is an alt category that's going to beat that, I'm happy to make a bet. We'll go out to lunch. Uh, please don't send me emails. Actually, I shouldn't have done this. Uh, but, but just my point is, the 5% yielding treasury is the alt at this point. And not only is this not a great call long term, actually, the timing of this is terrible. Should have said it last year. Should have said it two years ago. Right now, I think it's very compelling that you're getting some kind of return on the bond portion of your portfolio. For 10 years, the only reason to own bonds was stability. Now, actually, you're getting paid something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, actually, it's a great time for a 60-40 portfolio. Maybe not in the next six months, but over the next five to 10 years, it's probably a better strategy than chasing all, all sorts of alternative beta and alpha strategies now, that are unproven. Okay, so now to your point, um, the, the so-called 60-40 portfolio is up 6.3% year-to-date. It was, to your point, terrible last year, down 17%. It also is, to your point, over the longer term, up 11% on average between 09 and 21. Now, that obviously was a different environment where money was raining down from the, from the heavens for that entire period of time. Now, Stephanie Link. What's your take? I don't know why they had to make this declaration, to be honest with you. I just, told, I just told you why. 60, well, I don't, I, whatever. You're not. They, didn't, they didn't need to make this declaration. I mean, and 60-40 isn't for everyone. Maybe right. it's 70-30. No, Maybe it's 90-10. Right. Right. I, I understand so, that, but the sales pitch on 60-40 forever was that it was for everyone. Well. No, 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 no. no. Younger people should not be in a 60-40. Absolutely, right. Absolutely. We, and you and I agree if you on that. Look, and if you look at the returns 60-40 over longer periods of time, it's about 6.1%. That's not actually so bad, especially when you think about what a, a horrific year last year was for both equities and fixed income. Um, I actually think, yes, fine, you can own privates, private markets, you can own alternatives, um, but they're very long duration assets. They're very very illiquid. You got to know what you what you own, and so maybe you have five or ten percent of your portfolio in, pri in in alternatives in private markets. That makes sense to me. Right. But why would you ever abandon equities when the long-term average total return is about nine percent, and in fixed income it's about six percent? You average that in, and and you can kind of sleep at night. I want to hear from from both of you guys yeah. who are managing money for people too. Yeah, Jason Snipe. For me, I mean. When I look at this story, I look at the once-in-a-lifetime event, which we had in COVID, right? So it blows up the fixed income market. And I think, I think Josh made a good point earlier. I mean, it was relatively uninvestable for the last 10 years, right? Now there's yields. This is an income strategy for our clients. So a 60-40 mix is good for our you know, mid to late retirement folks that are looking to stay involved in the equity market, but also buy the index on, on the aggregate bond indexes, which, which I think works in a lot of ways. So for me, I, I don't agree. I don't, I don't think that the 60-40 mix is dead. I think it's indicative of what we've just seen. And I also think this is assuming that inflation still runs rampant, and that won't be the case. 
Jimmy. Uh, Scotty, I go back 25 years in this business and obviously more with my family. But what I remember from 1998 was offering people 5% tax-free municipal bonds, investment grade. People were like, what? I can get 25% in the stock market and you're offering me 5%? Yep. Um, we're, we're back to where yield matters. I, what, what, what BlackRock is talking about, besides what Josh is talking about, which is accurate, is this breakdown that the correlations are going to come together, bonds and stocks are going to go down together. Maybe that's true. But now you can invest in bonds for yield. That is a beautiful thing that I have missed for 15 years. Well, I mean, the FT says, quote, we don't, this is also today, we don't see the return of a joint stock bond bull market. So there are maybe, maybe there not. are historical slices of time and, and BlackRock is right about this. There are historical slices of time, specific eras where you had stock and bond correlation in both directions. But normally over the course of decades, which most people are investing for decades, very few people are watching the show who have three years left. So for somebody that's got a time horizon, that's got to get through multiple eras. Yeah. You have to accept there are going to be years where stocks and bonds both go down together. Last year was that year. Historically, how likely is that to continue into a second year? Never happened. Historically, how like that, likely is that to happen uh, during a decade? Never happened. So the purpose of 60-40, it's humility. It's saying, I don't know for sure what either of these asset classes are going to do, but one of them is giving me stability in the yield. One of them is giving me the ability to outpace inflation, albeit with higher volatility. It's the blend of the two, the systematic rebalancing. When one is horrible, one is great. Trimming from great, adding to horrible. That's why this works. And again, if you just did the returns of a 60-40 as an active manager or an alt manager, if you just did that for 10 or 15 years, you'd be in the hall of fame in the investment management business. So few active managers, alternative managers, have ever been able to deliver that. So it, it had the worst year ever. Now we're gonna say it's dead for the future? That would be ahistorical for things to work out that way. Okay. Uh, still ahead, we're gearing up for Netflix in overtime. Your setup is next. Can't wait for overtime tonight. That's when Netflix reports. Jason Snipe, you own the stock. So they stopped giving you guidance on where subgrowth is going to be. Yep. What do you expect? So I'm a little nervous about it, but I, th I think it will be solid. Uh, I'm focused on the ad-supported tier. I think there might be some, some, some growth there. Password sharing is also going to be a big piece. They reduce the content spend, so it's quality over quantity. And I think that's going to be a focus for them going forward, and I hope that shows up in earnest. All right. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, for certain. Final trades are next. All right, 3 o'clock Eastern. We have a big show coming up in a couple hours' time. We have retailing legend Mickey Drexler joining us today exclusively. Get his thoughts on what's going on in retail right now, the consumer. And Brian Moynihan, CEO, of course, of Bank of America, on the back of that company's earnings today. Look forward to uh, both of those interviews. All right, let's do final trades. Farmer, Jim. Yeah, Goldman Sachs, I know we talked about it earlier, but you got to respect this intraday chart. It's very powerful. And I think we can expect uh, IPO and deal calendars to start picking up. Okay, uh, interesting call there. Jason Snipe. I like T-Mobile here. Buyback programs coming back online. The multiple is coming dramatically. I like this stock going forward. Stephanie Link. Corteva, it's my favorite ad play. They've got great products, pricing power, and their costs are coming down. 
Josh Brown. ITA heading back toward a February 2020 high or resistance level. If she breaks 119, forget about it. All right. Market's uh, trying to make its own move back, it looks like. Dow is uh, only down about 24 points. That does it for us. I'll see a closing bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 